0: Well, last week we didn't get to preach, and I know you're all hurting about that. Uh, You're all sad that you got out a little early and you didn't have to listen to me, but sorry, we're back again. So we're continuing our study through Mark. This might be ringing a little bit. We talked about the disciples not being able to drive out a demon from the boy when in the past, not only were they given authority to do that, they had done it in the past. But now, for whatever reason, they couldn't do it. And Jesus told them the reason they weren't being able to do that is because they were lacking in their prayer, their prayer time. Some versions say prayer and fasting. Uh, The most current manuscripts just include prayer, but neither one are, are bad in themselves. They were getting to a point where it was not a big deal for them to do that because they had done it so often. They didn't feel the need to pray anymore because it was just happening. And what was happening is when they stopped praying, the Holy Spirit stops working. They were trusting in themselves rather than than relying on God to work through them. And I wrote here, if you expect the Holy Spirit to work in the church, we all need to be prayed up and trusting that God wants to use us in the service. How many came here as a spectator? Or as a participant? We should all come as God's participants in what he wants to do. The Bible says two things. He's going to pour out his Spirit upon The ministry. No, it says all flesh. Everyone is going to be poured out upon. And the Bible says that God gives pastors, teachers, and all that stuff in order to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So we come as participants, active participants in what God may want to do through us in any particular church service. And the disciples had gotten to the point where they didn't rely on God anymore. They just thought, no big deal. We don't need to be prayed up because God's already working. Well, they found out quickly that that doesn't work. We have to not trust in our ability. We have to trust in God's ability to work through us, and the only way that works is if we are prayed up when we come to church. So now we progress on in Mark chapter 9, verse 30. After after Jesus healed that boy, it says, then they left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after, about, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him about it. Well, let's pray real quick. Father, thank you for your word. I pray your anointing as we speak about your word that we rightly divide your word of truth so that your word ministers to us, that the Holy Spirit is able to seal these words in our life and effect change in each one of us, we ask in your name, Lord amen so verse 30 starting at the beginning of that passage it says they left that place and passed through Galilee notice he was passing through he didn't really he didn't stop there he stopped there just as a break he was not going to minister there his ministry time in that town was over things were winding down and he had to go to places he hadn't been yet he had already been in Galilee and done his ministry and now he was heading through there heading to Jerusalem to finish his redemptive mission And as we said earlier, Jesus told them, from now on, things are gonna get harder for you. And he needed them, he needed to be alone, away from the crowds to teach them and get them prepared for what was going to happen in the future. How many know it's gonna get worse? It may get better for a little bit, but it's gonna continue to get progressively worse. And we need to be prepared for when that happens to us. I'm gonna give you an example of that that's kind of real time. A couple of weeks ago, maybe a week ago, how many have heard the New Mexico fiasco? New Mexico. New Mexico, the governor came out and she basically, she said, I'm going to suspend the Second Amendment. I'm going to stop the Second Amendment. Well, everybody came up in arms about that. They all got mad. No one's backing her on this. We knew that was going to happen. But that's the fact that she was attempting to do that is just a precursor to what is going to happen in the future. With COVID, they shut everything down. What happened to freedom of assembly? What happened to freedom of religion? They took that away for two years and no one squawked about it, or very few squawked about it. We got it back, but they did it. They're attempting to do the second one. They've already broken the Fourth Amendment by going into people's houses without a warrant. Do you see the pattern here? It's going to get worse. Now it didn't succeed this time, but they're gonna keep trying it, and it's eventually gonna succeed. We have to be ready for when that does. For when it is illegal to meet, or when it costs you to meet, we have to be ready for what's gonna happen. And Jesus is telling his disciples, look dudes, it's gonna get worse. And you need to be ready for it, you need to understand what I'm teaching you now so you are prepared for that it. it doesn't come by surprise. He tried to tell them earlier what was going to happen, but they still didn't get it. They still didn't quite understand. So he needed to take some time away from the crowds and all the signs and wonders, and he needed to sit them down and tell them what the truth was going to be and then have them be prepared for that. Let me know you need some time to be alone with Jesus in your devotional time to hear what Jesus is telling you. If you're, all, you're only getting your main course on Sunday morning, you're missing the other six days of the week where you need to be alone with Jesus to have him speak to you and minister to you. Bible refers to itself as food. If you only eat once a week, which I'm pretty sure no one here does, you eat three times a day, at least. You need to be spending that much time with God to get his mind and his renewed Spirit on what is going to happen and what he wants you to do specifically Jesus speaks in crowds and in church services But there's going to be times when you need to be alone to listen to the Holy Spirit And not listen to what's going on around you Now it's easy to chase after the signs and the wonders and forget about what God's word says In other words, you just want the miracles, you want all the benefits of being a Christian But you don't want Jesus and that was what was happening with the crowds that were following him. They all wanted the miracles and the blessings and all that stuff. They weren't too interested in really following him. They wanted the benefits from that. So Jesus takes them aside. And he has to double down on them and telling them what he tried to tell them earlier about what's gonna happen. If you remember Peter's exclamation about when Jesus said he was gonna die back in Mark 8, he says, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders Chief priests and teachers of the law and then he might be killed and after three days rise again He spoke plainly about this and put, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him So they weren't they weren't getting it. They weren't understanding it now a chapter later They still didn't get it. So Jesus basically is saying okay guys You need to sit down and listen to what I'm telling you This is what is going to happen whether you think it's that way or not The disciples still needed to be taught about what was going to happen in the future How often do we read something in the Bible or God gets our attention in prayer, but we still don't understand what he's trying to say to us? You read it, something jumps out at you, but you're not sure why it does. Sometimes it takes a while for that truth to sink in. How many have read a scripture and and it kind of sticks with you? But you're not sure why it sticks with you. But then later on you find out what happens in your life now that scripture applies to you that you just read yesterday. We need to meditate on God's word and allow it, allow God to make it plain and applicable to us. How many have read any passage of Bible, not really understood it, you just keep on reading? You read it five times, nothing. The sixth time you read it, something in that verse just jumps out at you. Because God wants you to understand that verse right now and what's going to happen in the near future. We need to meditate on God's word so that God is able to make his word plain to us. Proverbs 25:2 says, "It's the glory of king, kings to hide a matter, or the glory of God to hide a matter, glory of kings to search out a matter. God wants us to dig into His word. God wants us not just to cursory read it, but to study it and apply it. The so verse 31 says, "Because he was teaching his disciples, he said to them, "The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise, basically the same thing he told them back in chapter eight. But he adds one more little thing to it. He adds the betrayal. And the tense of the verb here indicates that it's in the future, but it's as good as happening now. In other words, it's not not in the future. It's not some nebulous time. It's basically saying the sun is going to set this evening. It's in the future, but you know it's going to happen. It's as sure as you're standing here, the sun's going to set. And Jesus is saying, as sure as you're standing here, I'm going to be betrayed and as sure as you're standing here, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be killed. So it, even though it was in the future, it was a dead certainty that that was going to happen. It's a guarantee that Jesus will be betrayed. It's as good as done. And there's nothing you can do to change that event. If you remember, them, Jesus rebuked them in chapter 8, then again, with the healing of the boy. So I imagine for them, they're getting into the habit of getting rebuked by Jesus. He gets rebuked in chapter 8. They get rebuked in chapter 9. So they're kind of gun-shy about talking to Jesus about it. Verse 32 kind of says that. It says they did not understand what he meant, but they were afraid to ask him about it. So they still didn't get it, but they've been rebuked so many times they're afraid to ask. Now there could be many reasons for not wanting to ask. Maybe they didn't want to get rebuked again. Or maybe it could be that Jesus was talking about suffering before glory, and they didn't want to be reminded about the suffering part. Whatever motive was behind their fear, it seems that they tried to change the subject and talk about something that was more appealing to them. In verse 33, when they came to Capernaum, when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about? Now, Capernaum is in Galilee. They were kind of stopping there on their way to Jerusalem kind of their headquarters, Jesus' headquarters. And they're only going to spend a short amount of time there. And the house they stayed in, they thought, most people think it was Peter and Andrew's house. doesn't say, but most scholars think that's who it was. So it's kind of a pit stop on their way to Jerusalem. And I'm sure the disciples were arguing amongst themselves to a point where they were trying to whisper about it. They don't want to hear, you know, they don't want to hear Jesus, let Jesus hear them arguing about it. They try to keep Jesus from hearing it. How many think you can hide stuff from the Lord? How many of you think that if you don't say something, but you think it, God doesn't know? Guess what? God already knows that you're thinking it. Psalm 142 talks about David was venting before God. You ever vent, (laughs) complain to God? You don't want to do it out loud, but you're doing it in your mind. You think, well, if I don't say it, then God doesn't hear it you might as well say it because god knows you're thinking it and a lot of times when you do that you're venting you you two things happen when you vent you get it off your chest and then when you're saying it it sounds dumber as you say it than when you're thinking it like that, that sounded better in my head and that's what was happening with these guys are on the road they're discussing amongst themselves trying not to let, let jesus hear it but as 1 Chronicles 28, 9 says, for the Lord sees every heart and understands and knows every plan and every thought. Psalm 94, 11, the Lord knows the thoughts of man. He knows that they are futile. So if you're thinking it, God already knows it. So no hiding stuff from the Lord. Jesus confronts them and I'm sure that threw them off God a little bit. You know, they're talking amongst themselves figuring Jesus can't hear them. And then he says to them, what were you arguing about? Wait, we were, we were quiet. He didn't hear us. How did he know? I'm thinking judgment day. Not whether we get into heaven or not, but when God judges the Christian's works and motives. What's the Bible say? Every thought will be projected, everyone's going to see your thoughts, right? Things that we think that God doesn't know, He knows. Things that we think that we have forgotten about, God knows. And guess what? All of our motives and works will be revealed on that day. And I, as I was putting this together, I was thinking about Ananias and Sapphira. Now, that would, be, that would be something if that happened today. Nobody knew what they did but those two, and God revealed it to Peter. Peter prophesied to them. Now in their case, God pronounced judgment right then and there. And they dropped dead. Can you imagine that happening today? Somebody gets up and tells you something that only you know, that was sinful. And God says, oh, okay, enough of that. You're dead. The Bible says a great fear gripped the church. I can imagine great fear Gripping everybody in that assembly when they saw God drop two people instantly I see that I'm gonna straighten up I'm gonna fly right I'm gonna do everything I can but guess what God still is gonna reveal it it may not be right now but God knows your heart God sees your actions and God's gonna reveal them at the at the judgment day now prophecy as the Bible tells us is designed to edify exhort, console, and encourage and strengthen believers. 1 Corinthians 14.3 says, but everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Acts 15.32, Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. How many know the prophecy, gifts of the Spirit, are still operational today? Today. They didn't stop at any particular point. Now, if they're still operational today, are we sensitive to the prompting of the Spirit in our lives? In other words, are we sensitive to what God wants to do in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit, either at home, family, church? As we said at the beginning, God pours His Spirit upon everyone. God allows the Holy Spirit to work through anybody and everyone here to edify and strengthen and encourage and comfort the church. We believe God can still that, do that today. Amen? Amen? Amen. Mark 9.34 says, but they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Yeah, I probably would have shut up on that one as well. I I'd, uh, I'd said, what do you, uh, uh, that's kind of embarrassing, I don't, I'm, didn't want you to hear that. I mean, we were whispering out of, your, out of earshot, Jesus. How did you know that? I mean, Jesus told them a second time he's going to be betrayed and killed and rise from the dead. And what are they focusing on? Who's going to be greatest? You think the disciples are, you know, upstanding guys, but you look at stuff like this, you wonder, what are you thinking about? You're, instead of focusing on what Jesus just said, I'm going, be, I'm going to be killed. You're focusing on who's going to be greatest. Now, it's not that God doesn't care about your lives and your struggles, he does. But these guys were talking about prideful things, talking about who was the greatest. Now, for the Jewish culture, that's a pretty, that's a pretty common thing. It wasn't abnormal for people to try to edify themselves, to build themselves up. Who's the greatest? Muhammad Ali, what was his tagline? I'm the greatest. We may not say it that way, but how many of us think more highly of ourselves than we might, than we should? We do the same thing, kind of, if we're not careful. Who's the greatest? Am I better than the person next to me? Am I better than so and so? What you do is you compare yourself with someone who may not be as far along in the spiritual walk as you. And you say, well, I'm better than that guy. So I'm good. The Bible says, what about the plank in the eye? (laughs) Take the plank out of your own eye before you start looking at the speck in someone else's eye. Am I better than that person? Do I preach better? Do I teach better? Do I live a better life than that person? Basically the same thing. Who's the greatest? How about this one? Compare yourself with Jesus. And see how that works out so since that was a pretty Jewish thing to do trying to assess who was the greatest these guys are still pretty steeped in the Jewish tradition that's that's all they know it's what they were raised with that's that's normal to them no different than allowing the culture of their day to affect their lives and their thoughts about God the culture today if we're not careful will affect our lives in our relationship with God, if we allow culture to affect how we think and what we do. Now, I thought of a unique example. Now if you have a certain age, these older Christian movies that were out years ago, you know, Ten Commandments and all those ones, there was there was Jesus was portrayed in some of them as a white guy, blonde hair Blue eyes. Now, does that sound right to you, Jesus being Jewish? Jesus was Jewish, not American. We allowed culture to dictate what we think Jesus looked like. Jeffrey Hunter was the guy I can think of. Max von Sydow both played Jesus, and both were definitely not Jewish in origin. We pushed our American culture into what we thought would be biblical times. And we think that all Christians in the world today live in ranch homes and they drive GMs or Fords. Or Toyotas or whatever. If we're not careful, we tend to think that our culture is Christian culture everywhere. It's not. I think we're unique in that right now. We have the blessings that the majority of the world do not have. That we're here able to gather without fear of retribution for the time being. We were listening to a radio broadcast on the way into prayer about in Pakistan how Christians are being martyred, Pakistan being the worst in the persecution of Christians. We don't face that yet, but don't be surprised if it comes. To these guys, they knew that even though it was culture and it was normal for them, They knew knew enough not to talk about it with Jesus. And they felt guilty for doing it, which is good. So they didn't really answer Jesus' question. He says, what were you arguing about? And they didn't answer the question. But Jesus knows and he goes on giving them a visual teaching of what he wants to explain to them. In verse 35 it says, sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all something like the Bender translation. Okay guys, let's sit down and go over some things. I know what you're talking about, and I need to explain some things to you. It's obvious that you don't get what I've been telling you about about what's gonna happen, so let me spell it out for you plainly. I gotta tell you something that I would like to sit down and explain to you in the first grade English, so you understand what's next. And since they were talking about who was the greatest, they clearly once again failed to understand Jesus' statements about suffering and death. The kind of service Jesus is talking about requires service. You want to be great? Be a servant. Kind of the opposite of what the world would think is great. A person who is great has people serving him. President, kings, they have people serving them. In God's economy, The greatest one is the one who is doing the serving. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, you must consider yourself last and serve other people. And then Jesus goes on to try to give an emotional word picture to them, an illustration designed to elicit emotions on the part of the hearer. Verse 36, he took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Now, chapter 9, Jesus brings the kids in, elevates their status to the disciples, and you would think they got it. You understand. But it never seems to work because in the next chapter in verse 10, chapter 10, verse 13, it says people were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them the disciples rebuked them. (laughs) these guys were clueless verse 14 says when Jesus saw them he was indignant these guys they can't remember anything from one chapter to the next and here Jesus is using the very ones that most people in that era discarded as unimportant the kids Jesus was telling them these are the most important and the most valuable to me, not to what the world thinks, these are valuable to me. And if you wanna be important, you value the things that I value, the people that I value. When you care about people whose society doesn't care about, when you're concerned about those who can't help themselves as these kids can't, that's what being great is. You wanna be great? Do that. You wanna be great? Serve other people. Not who's gonna sit on my right and left. Who's gonna be greatest? Jesus is saying it's so important and so true that if you do that for an uncared for someone that society says is an insignificant person, it's the same as if you do it for me. Now, we know that verse, we probably have memorized that verse, but how often do we really do it? Do we serve people who the society has rejected? The disciples wanted to be recognized as important, and they're basically saying, who am I? I want to be important to Jesus, right? I want Jesus to think that I'm important. That's who they wanted to impress. You want to make a difference in the kingdom of God? You want to be important to Jesus? Serve those who you know need you to serve them. Folks who cannot do it for themselves. Jesus says, because when you serve them, you're basically it might as well be me in that spot. You're serving me when you do that. And you show them in the act of service who I am. They won't be able to see me physically for a while, but they'll see your service. They'll see what you do, how you live, and how you treat them, and they'll be drawn to me. Matthew five sixteen says, In the same way, let your light shine before men, so they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You want people to see Jesus? Do they see Jesus when they see you? Do you act like Jesus, not here, but in the world? When people look at you, do you think something different about that person? How do I behave? Do I act like everybody else? Or do I act different than everybody else? Not in a weird way, but in a loving, kind way. I'm gonna close with this example. How many have heard the expression that the church is a hospital. I think, you know, we say that because of what Jesus said about the sick. In Matthew 9, it says, when Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. We want everyone to come to this hospital I like Tony Evans you know Tony Tony Evans is I heard this on the radio the other day awesome quote he says the church is a hospital not a hospice we don't come in the church to die we come in the church to get fixed up and go back out when you go to a hospital you're going to get fixed and go back out hopefully you get fixed and they send you out all, all well and everything you don't sit around waiting to die as a Christian. Now God's fixed you up, and now you're gonna go out and live your life in the world. We're open to any person who wants to walk in these doors looking for help, more specifically, looking for God's help. And just like a hospital, what we do, we figure out what's wrong, and we show them how God wants to correct it. Now, what's wrong in their life is sin, just like all of us. We all were sinners. Jesus is the cure for sin now when you go to a hospital hospitals don't automatically accept your feelings over a situation they'll listen to you but what they do they run tests to figure out if what you're feeling is exactly what's going on in other words you can walk into a hospital have a you know small tumor and you don't know it you feel fine but they find it and they treat it you can have other sicknesses and not really have any symptoms for those until they check you out. You go because you want the doctor to tell you exactly what you have going on, whether you feel good or not. The doctor is gonna treat the tumor, he's gonna treat the sickness, and, but he's not gonna let you go on your way without treating them. I'm going to get my soapbox out here Hope I don't offend anybody If an anorexic person walks in and tells the doctor they feel fat The doctor will hopefully be able to help them understand that what they feel is not true. Is that correct you get that right? The doctor will tell you the truth so we can proceed to make you well He doesn't agree with you That it's that you're you're fat. He tells you what you don't want to hear in order to make you well The church tells you the truth about sin and forgiveness so you can have your sins treated Forgiven and be spiritually healed Doctors do not tell cancer patients. Hey, everything's okay. Nothing. We need to do for that. You just keep on doing what you're doing I'll see you in a year They don't tell anorexic patients. Yeah, I don't I don't think you're fat either I think you are fat but since you you think you're fat I agree with you you are fat you just keep on doing what you're doing and you'll be fine the doctor's main concern is not how you feel about something his concern is about making you better the church's main concern is not so much about your feelings although we do care about you our desire is to love you enough to make you right with God. Doctors and nurses serve you when you are most likely at your worst, regardless of who you are, what you may have done, or what you may be able to do for them. They do it because they care for you. Doctors and nurses usually don't check your wallet before they start treating you. They do that when you check in. But once you're in, they don't know, they just treat you. Because they want to make you well, they care about you. And that's all Jesus is saying. Regardless of what society says about people, or what they will be able to do for you, serve them because you care for them. And then they will see who Jesus is. Because people have a caricature of who Jesus is, unfortunately because of some Christians that are out there. Let's hope we're not one of them. I'm reading a book about all kinds of bad examples of Christians. (laughs) We wanna be ones that people see Jesus in us. And we do that by not lording it over people as the Bible says, we do it because we care about them and we love them and we wanna tell them the truth. They may not wanna hear it, but we still are obligated to tell them. When a patient walks into the hospital The doctor tells him what's wrong, tells him what the treatment's gonna be. Patient can still say, you know what, I don't want the treatment, and he walks out. Our job is to let people know God loves them. God can heal them of the sin problem. God can deliver them from whatever they're in. And here's how you do it. And they can either say, that sounds good to me. Yes, show me Jesus. Or they can say, no thanks, I don't want it. Our job is to allow them to Feel like we care about them when they walk in. We want anyone to walk in. But we have to tell them what God's word says about it. We can't worry about how they feel about what God's word is. Now, we don't, we don't beat them up. We don't beat them over the head with it. We first want to show them that God loves them. Jesus really loves them. Let's talk about the situation in your life. We don't beat them up and throw verses at them right away. We show them that Jesus loves them and what they're involved in, whatever kind of sin it is, that's obviously hurting them, that's why they're here. Let me show you how you can get out of that. Let me show you how you can get free from that. I was able to teach a class yesterday of young guys going through Bible college. And some of them have stories that they've been through, recovery programs and stuff, now they're called. And you got to see their testimony of how they came to know Christ in the worst situation that they were in. And it was because someone loved them and someone introduced them to what Jesus can do for them. Didn't beat them up over it, didn't condemn them for it. How many know our job is to catch them? God's job is to clean them. Our job is to share the truth. Our job is to let them know Jesus loves them. We're here to help you, encourage you and bless you and get you where you need to be. And God's the one responsible for doing what he needs to do in their life. We want to be that church, right? And we believe that God is beginning, I don't want to say a new movement, but God is beginning to change courses with us. You heard what Marlene said about the property and the prayers and stuff. And that's how we prayed. And that's what we've been doing for, the, you know, for a while. This is a battle that's beyond our ability to control in ourselves. But we believe God is in charge of that. And the question that I asked last week, or last prayer time, that actually was Anna's quote, was how much do you want it? How much do we want it? If we sit here and we don't pray and we don't trust God and we let them do whatever they're gonna do we may lose everything the township may come in and condemn this place and take it and we have no recourse how much do you want it how much do you believe that God is in control of this and whether we move or stay that that's God's decision and God's got to do it but if we don't step out and trust God and keep praying and believe that that's what God wants us to do God's going to say, well, you you guys don't care about it, I guess. Because this is a serious thing. I mean, we're at a crossroads right now. And we need the Holy Spirit to work, give us wisdom on how to handle this. Moving forward, not so we get the credit, but so God gets the credit. So whatever happens, they can't say, well, the church did this, or Jeff did that, or whatever. We want them to say, man, that must be a God thing, because it never would have happened if God didn't do it. That's how we got the property. Right God did it through no work of yours. I wasn't here then that was you right that was you right so yeah God did that right? So that's God's property. That's God's problem (laughs) So guess what? We have trust God to do that same thing again The gates of the township are not going to prevail against God's church All right, would you stand as we close in prayer And I'm excited for what's going to happen. Because that way, God gets the glory. God gets the credit. And we're trying to figure out what do we do and what do we not do. We don't want, right now, we've not really contacted any attorneys. Not talked to any attorneys about that. The other two property people have their attorneys. But we haven't contacted one yet. Because we're trusting that God's going to work through this. Now, we may have to at some point do that. But right now, you don't have that kind of capital to do that. So that's a God thing. Maybe God wants to give us a brand new place, build a brand new church. We don't have the, uh, the stairs up there that no one wants to ride the chair. <laughs> you was know, walk in flat. It won't be that problem anymore. No one's going to be embarrassed if they ride the chair. Maybe God wants to do that. Don't know. But I know that God's in control of it. God's going to do it. He did it before, and I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I'm excited because it's going to take all of us to, to pray about that, right? And Hezekiah, Hezekiah commanded everybody, hey, for three days, fasting, prayer. We've got an army coming against us. You all need to do that. It wasn't just him. He had the whole nation start praying and fasting. And God went out and beat them all before the nation did anything. So that's what I think God's going to do here. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, thank you for your saving us, for working in our lives. Lord, your word says you are long-suffering, and that's with people. And we are people that need to be long-suffered with. And we're thankful that you saved us, that you took time to bring us in your kingdom. Your word says you chose us, we didn't choose you. There came a point where you offered that to us and we accepted, it and we're so grateful for that. And we thank you for the way you're working in our lives personally and working in this church as a body of believers. And we're excited for what's going to happen in the future with whatever happens with this property issue. We just pray your hand upon all of it. You give us wisdom and direction as to what we're to do. But Lord, we pray that you would go before us and you would make every crooked way straight. That you would give us favor with whomever we need to have favor with. And you would provide whatever we need. You know, in our, our budget, our finances, there's no way we can buy land and build a brand new church. We just can't do it unless you intervene. And we trust you to do that miraculous thing for us. If that's your calling for us to expand and move out, then Lord, you, you gotta provide it. And We believe that you have more than the ability to do that. And we trust you, Lord, as Marlene said, we're not fearful, we're not worried, we're trusting. And we know that you love us, and your word says perfect love casts out fear. So that we know that if you love this church, you love us personally, then we're not fearful what may happen in the future. Father, let's pray this morning. I never want to end without offering the chance for someone who may not know Jesus to come to know him. Maybe you're here this morning, this is your first time or you've been here for years because it's possible to sit in church all your life and not be saved. But the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, God the Father, is drawing you. He's making you think about him. He's making you make a decision. And if you're here thinking about God, it's because God's making you think about him. And God's putting all the information in front of you, hoping that you'll make a choice. The Bible says he stands at the door of your heart and he knocks. He wants to come in to have fellowship with you. But you have to open that door. If you've never come to the point in your life where you can look back and say, this is the date that I gave my life to Christ, that I prayed that prayer, and I am now born again. And if you're not sure of where you stand, the Bible says, these things are written that you may know you have eternal life. If you're not sure, you're, yeah, I don't know. This is the time you can be sure. If you've never accepted Christ and you wanna do that, this is the moment you wanna to come to be right with God and have all those things in your life that you've done in the past just forgiven and the Bible says, white clean. You've got a clean slate. Everything's forgiven, forgotten. You can move on. Clean as the driven snow with God if that's you i want you to raise your hand you're not here by accident you're not here because you think i'm going to go to church today you're here because god directed you here to hear something whether it's a salvation message or just anything else in god's word or through the worship we come because god is able to minister to us in a corporate body in ways that you need to hear it may be something i said it may be something we sung it may be marlene's testimony It may be someone talking to you in the foyer. Things that God does in a corporate body through the power of the Spirit to minister to you. And when you walk out, you know you've been in God's presence and you know God has spoken to you a certain word or a certain phrase or a certain thought. You know that when you leave. That's the power of the Holy Spirit working in this church. So, Father, we do thank you for that power. We thank you for that Holy Spirit. And, Lord, we thank you for what you're doing and what you're gonna do. We're excited for what's gonna happen. We're excited to see the victory we're gonna get. And as we said before, you can't have a victory without a battle. So as we go through this battle, we're giving that victory to you and trusting you for it. And Father, I pray for those who are here or online who may be sick, who just can't make it to church, or who just walked in feeling blah. The Bible says the God's a God who still heals. And I pray that you would heal them in the name of Jesus. Let them experience the power of God. You don't have to lay hands on you to do that. God can heal you. Just standing right there. And I pray that you would do that. Maybe you're at home watching. God can heal you where you are. In the name of Jesus. And I pray that you would do that. Lord, have a wonderful testimony. Allow people to see what the power of God in operation, that it's real, it's tangible, and people's lives are changed because of what you do. And allow that to spark an interest in them to come here to see what God's doing. And then, Father, when they walk in the door, you save them. So, Father, we thank you for what you're doing, what you continue to do. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people shouted in victory. Amen. 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 God bless you. Have a great day. See you Wednesday night. We're watching The Chosen. If you haven't seen it, it's an exciting time.